Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City, and I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. Hi again. Thanks for joining me today. Joining us today, my guest today is Tanith Kay. I met them a couple years ago and ran into them recently and was just like, I really need to have you on my podcast. So here we are. We didn't just pick one topic to focus on today. This was more like two friends with ADHD just having a long-winded conversation, but a good amount of our conversation was focused on Tanith sharing more about their journey through gender. And a a journey through gender for people that are not feeling like uh, cisgendered, meaning they're not feeling the way that they were labeled at birth, it can often be a journey. There's so much going on in the media right now. We have conservatives who are calling people like me and like Tanith predators and groomers simply because we're willing to have conversations about human sexuality and a journey through gender because it's not straightforward. It's not like people who are trans just wake up one day and go, you know what? I've got it all figured out. I know exactly why I'm feeling this way and how to fix it. That's not the case. You might remember from episodes previous, like the one I did early on with Jay Pryor, who still does a uh, one-person show called The Gender Reveal Party, and then Max Sheffield. I've had Nyla Foster, I had Marie Jensen, and I love sharing these people's stories simply because I want people to know that, first off, they're human. They deserve love and respect. And the shit that's going on right now in politics regarding their very existence absolutely infuriates me. And I hope it infuriates you too. I mean, if you're listening to the show, um, I doubt you're new to these kinds of conversations, but perhaps there's more for you to learn so that you can understand more about what's going on with TERFs, which means trans-exclusionary radical feminists, there's, as Tanth discussed, this whole gender-critical cult movement going on. You'll hear about that in the episode. So I just hope that you, my listeners, learn something new today that you can go out into the world and utilize to help be a better ally, a better friend, a better sibling, a better boss, a better coworker, a better neighbor, whatever it may be. Tomorrow, Thursday the 21st, I've got a big event It's the Casey Chambers Small Business Showcase, and I am, for the first time, going to be presenting as a candidate in the showcase because I've been in business long enough. I doubt that I'm going to win Small Business of the Year. I'm not going for that, but what I am going for is the crowd favorite at the business showcase. So if you can make it to Union Station Thursday evening from 5 to 7 to come by and say hi, you can get some free Uber lube, which I give out constantly at events. But I'm also giving out a gift basket that's got a a dating game, some promescent Climax Control Spray, as well as a full-size bottle of Uber Lube. Actually, I'm sorry. It's not the full size. It's like the next size down. It's still travel friendly. It's still under two ounces or three ounces. It's like 1.6 ounces, something like that. So you can put it in your (laughs) carry-on. Oh, I've also got a $50 gift card to Sorella's in there. So 
come by and see me, vote for, the, for me as the crowd favorite. I doubt they've ever had a business like me <laughs> at one of these things. And hell, I think that'd just be a lot of fun if the KC Chamber and then the folks from the presenting sponsors, Honeywell, folks from Honeywell have to announce open the doors coaching and then see what I do on a Facebook Live. Ah. <laughs> I am bringing sex education into the mainstream. I don't hide in the shadows. I am loud and proud about what I do. If you have not found a physical copy of the pitch, check my socials and you can look at the digital version of I Smell Sex and Cannabis with Ashley Manta, the canisexual. The digital version is online now. great fucking article if I do say so myself. Anyway, happy 420. Enjoy the show. Thanks for joining me again for another episode of Keep Them Coming. As you can tell, I still have the sniffles. I still have sinus infection. So bear with me through this episode because I am joined by my friend Tanith, who is an artist and graphic designer, and they are a nonprofit advocate. Amongst other things, we met through No Divide Casey. We have worked together on a few projects. So, Tanith, welcome to the show. Woohoo! I'm so excited to be here. I'm I'm usually not like a podcast listener because I have ADHD and I have auditory processing issues. So I'm like, if it doesn't have closed caption, I'm really bad about it. <laughs> and people are like, oh, just listen in the car. You'll have a great time. I can't do that because I'm like, oh, it's now background noise. And I just missed 20 minutes of important conversation that somebody was having. Whoopsie doopsie. But when it is a podcast that I'm trying to learn something, I need to be like sitting there with a notepad or my phone to make notes on it. Mm -hmm. If it's just a, you know, a little bit of a story that maybe I don't care too much about listening to, or it's just two people having a conversation that I'm not trying to learn a lesson then I can put it on as background noise. But I also have a really hard time listening to podcasts these days because I'm just busy with my own show. You're busy. You got <laughs> things to do. You got guests to interview. You got topics to, to topic about. Yeah, I get yep. it. <laughs> Plus I got to write a column every month, you know, right. Uh, it's only 1200 I, words, but still that's, that's work, you know, uh, work is work is work. You know, I get it. Uh, I love having such like amazing, talented, like busy friends, like it's just such inspiration. Um, but I guess a more, more deep introduction to me, yes. your longtime listeners know who you are. You're, you're the host. So, um, I, like, um, Kristen said, my name is Tanith. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. I am a non-binary trans masculine bisexual gargoyle, uh, living my best, uh, artistic life, um, out here in Kansas city. I'm the current vice president of, um, local arts advocacy nonprofit, no divide KC, uh, where we use the arts as a vehicle to discuss um, and elevate social justice causes. Uh, and so that's kind of my, my big project at the moment. Um, and then I'm also a painter and graphic designer and have my fingers in all sorts of creative little pots. That is wonderful. I, I admit I'm not as well tapped into the art scene in Kansas City. <laughs> I've told my friend Marie that too. Like, I, I don't know what's what from art. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to get more involved. Uh, you know, my, my gallery knowledge or art knowledge has simply been from going like first Fridays and walking around the galleries and being a little drunk or maybe a little stone and <laughs> hey, hey. looking at some great art. 
but um, I, I'm trying to learn more. And from what I understand, there is a thriving art scene in Kansas City, especially in the queer community. There's massive art scene here in Kansas City. Uh, I would say like, it's actually like one of our most well-known assets in town, which feels weird because like most people are like, oh, wow, we have this thriving arts community. I've never heard about it. I'm like, that sounds like everything in Kansas City where there no. is a thriving community, but nobody knows about it. Like I know it not exists. In it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. I know it exists, but I don't know the players. I don't know who who's doing like really great stuff right now. So you all have been my entry. No Divide has helped be my entry into understanding more about the art scene. So I appreciate you all. Awesome. Yeah. Like, and that's part of our goal is to like, um, make art accessible, um, not only for, you know, artists to be able to submit and participate in various types of programming and shows. Uh, and we do all the arts. So both performing and visual arts, we're not confined to one or the other. Um, and we make sure that all our artists that we work with get paid. That is something that is really, really important to us because we know that like being an artist, especially trying to do it full time is really hard because a lot of us are trying to do that on our board. And we're like, you know, it takes time and effort and skill and practice to make something really dang cool that you are sharing in a public forum for people to consume take some dollars you're amazing we love you that is wonderful that you all are doing that because I from what I understand there's definitely been people in the past who have been trying to promote some folks in the art scene yet not pay people for their work so thank you for doing that yeah, it's one of those like, thanks, capitalism, sarcasm here <laughs> sort of thing, you know, because with art, like you can just run to Target or some other retail store and buy a cheap print on canvas or, you know, on special photo paper or whatever. But like the idea of spending maybe just a little bit more money on like an actual artist seems so daunting because you're like, oh, I don't want to like screw this artist out of their money you know they worked hard and and I I don't know as both like a collector and a person who makes art to be collected like I understand both sides of the story because you're just like oh I want to support but I also can't afford like these prices um but also I'm a fan of negotiating bartering yeah I love to barter and negotiate with fellow artists and I'm just like hey let's talk, <laughs> let's get into this and, and, you know, figure out what can work for both of us so that I can support your art as like a buyer, but also that you can buy groceries and pay your bills. Yeah, exactly. How can we make this work together? So have you, were you an artist, like, were you an art student and this was just kind of a natural thing or like, how did you, what was your path? What was your trajectory like to get to this point? Uh, it was uh, a whole journey. <laughs> of course. I, I know um, so I, uh, I w- went to uh, university for um, a history degree. Um, my undergrad was in history at UMKC. I did um, kind of a generic history degree. I didn't really specialize in anything um, because I had declared my major before they had established the program in that way. So I kind of got to do like 
whatever I wanted within history, which was pretty cool. Um, and then a few years later, I um, had the privilege and the opportunity to get my master's in Ireland, in Northern Ireland. Let's be specific about this. Northern Ireland is different <laughs> from the Republic of Ireland. Yes. Do not forget it. It's important. <laughs> yes. Um, and so I, um, I took out some student loans and I was able to go get my master's in um, early modern history is what it's called. But I studied the French Revolution and kind of the um, exchange of ideas and information and how it was transferred between people. Uh, that was around 2011, 2012, uh, which is when there were um, several um you know, revolutionary fights happening in Egypt at the time and the way they use social media and the internet to share information and to showcase what was happening, like really kind of sparked an interest in my head. Like, well, how would they have done that in the past? You know, mm -hmm. how would mm -hmm. they have shared that kind of knowledge and information and thought um, amongst, you know, people who aren't like in the in the bourgeois philosophers class of France, you know, what would that have looked like? Uh, and so I got to explore um, the use of pornography as like the number one source for spreading enlightenment thought and how women masturbating was the number one like F you to the church. Uh -huh. like okay this is cool a little weird reading like porn in the middle of the school library but like wow okay this is you know little dadaism little uh I'm here, um, I'm here for it a little bit of like um uh what is it like pre-atheism going on there uh like kind of figuring out you know your spirituality outside of god and the king and church and so yeah it was really interesting to see the different avenues that people will use to communicate and share ideas with one another very cool very cool that's you know getting from being someone who's trying to understand how art influences people into activism yeah that's mm -hmm. i don't think that's a very far you know not much of a jump but, no. you know, how did, how did you realize that you needed to get involved in the community in this that? way specifically? Cause I think a lot of young people are looking for ways to get involved and, you know, they tend to go for the things like, well, let's do big brothers, big sisters. And like, let's help kids in the, but to, to help in the way that you all are helping in the community is I think rather unique for you mm -hmm. to divide. And it is a newer organization. It's only a few years old. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what, what was your art then into activism and using art as the vehicle? So I actually started doing like art as, as most people understand it, you know, painting on a canvas and, and selling art in that way. I, I started doing that maybe three, four years ago. So like, it's still a relatively new thing for me to be doing. Um, and I was, um, I did uh, graphic design professionally. I was a production designer um, and like making menus and business cards and, you know, all the posters you have in your room. Like that was the kind of stuff I was doing. Um, and so I, um, I ended up quitting that job because it was almost like, a factory job, but at a computer, it was a little, mm. I, that's like really the only way I can describe it. They're like, uh, you have 20 minutes per job to get things done. And it's like, 
what <laughs> graphic design takes a lot of work like I was <laughs> oh. gonna say that they wouldn't ask me you to know, write a painting or write a song in 20-30 minutes and like so. you know we had this like promised 24-hour turnover time per job so we had 24 hours by the from the time it got submitted to us to chuck something out and I was like well you either get fast or you get good like <laughs> that's life <laughs> good luck yeah. Um, and, um, so I eventually quit that job just because like, it was very unsatisfactory. And after two years of doing it, my heart and my head were just like, I don't like the way I'm being treated. Also, I've been accused of starting a union when I wasn't, I wish I had uh, now. Uh, I, I wish <laughs> I had, I was like, damn, if only that actually was the case. <laughs> Uh, and so I started um, doing um, art as like a way to make income. I was like, I have skill in this. I've, I have some talent. I've, I practice a lot with, you know, graphic design. And so I bring a lot of that into my art. And then the pandemic happened mm -hmm. <laughs> as, mm -hmm. as, as a story for a lot of us, right? Uh, and I heard about No Divide and they were looking for board members. They were expanding. Uh, and I joined No Divide in um, June of 2020. So almost two full years now. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just kind of like slowly started to become this really cool thing. And um, getting involved in the community and, and building community. Um, you know, it's not something that you just find, you have to actively participate in, uh, whether that's, you know, going in networking with people and giving your elevator pitch about what you do, or, you know, say, Hey, you're, you're an incredible artist. I think we have an opportunity that would be really great for you to, uh, check out. Um, mm -hmm and sort of stuff. And so it's been really a, a great opportunity to kind of not only get my feet wet, but to dive into the whole art pool here in KC and really just um, see the cool ways in which art can be used to facilitate conversation and change. Mm -hmm. That's that, that intersection there of art and activism, right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just want to make a cool picture, yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be activism. And like, as a historian, like I, um, I often question what, what the, the motive of a piece is, mm -hmm. you know, what is, what is this piece trying to do? Um, and I do that with design as well. Like, is this design as propaganda? Is this art as propaganda? Or is this, you know, design and art as um, activism and really working hard to push people to question their current reality. Mm -hmm. Like what are you, are you enforcing the status quo or are you pushing against the status quo sort of thing? Mm -hmm. And there's so many different ways to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I understand that whole pushing it's the status quo thing with what I do every single day. <laughs> I was like, you're very familiar with that. I'm sure. <laughs> oh man. I, yes, yes. And I've been in my feels today about things like that, about just pushing the bar because like, I don't know. I had a message from a cousin actually asking me to like review his 
wife's business on Google. It's like, okay, first question, how am I expected to do that when I've never done business with her? Mm-hmm. And to like, what have you, what have you done to like push my business and stuff? And he's like, well, I never see your stuff. And I'm like, I am constantly out there pushing the envelope and posting things and sharing things. And my shit is everywhere. And if you are on my page ever, and you're saying you've never seen me out there, like, you no, you're living under a rock. But like, you need uh, then, to then update your prescription, myself. sir. Right? Then I started <laughs> questioning myself, like maybe, maybe the algorithm has been pushing me down because I do push the limits on what I say on posts and the things that I showcase. And I don't know, maybe the algorithm has been pushing me down. The algorithm is our number one enemy, especially Ooh. as, you know, as like a, a, a sex professional yourself, you know, and as a queer trans artist, like, um, anytime I, I post anything specific to like my trans experience or, or what, how I relate to it in that way, uh, my engagement goes to, uh, crap, <laughs> goes yeah. to absolute crap. And, you know, uh, they'll, they'll say, oh, it's not built into the algorithm, but the algorithm is an AI and it does learn and it feeds off of negativity and anger. And, you know, what is more angry than righteous anger? against you know (laughs) people experiencing pleasure and enjoying life in their bodies however that looks whether it's you know eating really good food and being just cute and fat and sexy um enjoying sex and all the forms that there are to have of it you know from vanilla to kink or you know being queer and just like living your best you know gender non-conforming lifestyle and I use queer here not as like identity, but like as directly against, you know, the cis heteronormative patriarchy that is pushing us all down and forcing us into boxes. Yes. <laughs> and yes. keeping us, keeping us, you know, satiated in a very bad way. <laughs> yes. You know, that, that word queer, I, let's go and talk about it for a second, because mm-hmm. in that context you were talking about, because I, in the last couple of weeks, not only we had trans day of visibility on mm-hmm. March, March 31st. So was at an event that day in Corsair's conversations and even a lesson talking about like terminology and things. And that was what Jay, what he said is that queer is one of those words that has been reclaimed by the community and it can be used in a couple of different ways, but there are still people out there. And why bring this up is because I had a client ask about this. Mm. Like, okay. When I was a kid, queer was, you know, like, like the F word that, you know, you were using it as a slur. And he was afraid to use that to describe any of his, you know, friends or even the community because he worried that it was still just going to be viewed as a slur. And I said, well, if you feel that way, maybe just don't use it. That's okay. But understand too, that when we within the queer community or people that you see in the queer community utilize it, mm-hmm. it's nuanced. <laughs> it really it's is a, still nuanced. It's a very nuanced word. Um, so um, I'm I I love like queer generational uh, like divisions because like um, it's not like the traditional young old you know sort of thing you know when someone says they're a queer elder that doesn't necessarily mean they're in their 50s or 60s that means they've been out for a really long time and they've been Uh living in their truth for a really long time so like I'm like a queer middle-aged person 
but I mean that like also in the very abstract sense that I'm still relatively new to my own like queerness, my own like not cis, not straightness. Um, and so it's just one of those things where like it, it has so much nuance to it. And, and there's some people within the community who don't like that word, mm-hmm. who still feel the the burn and the hate and the sting of it being that slur and you know uh, we're not a monolith right like I think that's the biggest takeaway and it's such an intersectional identity you know any person of any skin tone or race can be queer or disabled or fat or (laughs) insert other identity here you know Mm -hmm. like it's Mm -hmm. not there's layers to it like like an onion as our favorite our favorite internet voice tracks would say right like (laughs) yes I like that you brought that up that we're we're not a monolith the queer community is not a monolith the black community is not a monolith the the gay all the things that there's there's nuances there's intersectionality behind it um I, I applauded my client who asked the question I'm always always happy to help people understand more um it was just one of those things I was like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta remind people that you know, like, it's okay to have conversations about words. It's okay to have conversations about the things that we use because we are not a monolith. No and, community, no community is. And labels are tools. They mm-hmm. are helpful language to describe who you are in a moment and can change whenever you change. So you know, there are some people who hate the idea of labels and that's fine. You don't, you don't need to label yourself. You can just exist as you and your friends know you and the people you keep close to, you know, you, and that's awesome. Um, but like for some people, labels are really, really important because you can, you finally have found your sense of self. You finally have the words to describe who you are. Um, and like, just ask. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just ask because I, I promise you, you have your labels too. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's, mm, I mean this with love to the people who are listening who've had this realization, but when cisgendered people are like, okay, so wait, I'm, I'm what? I'm like, you're cisgendered. They're like, what does that mean? Well, it just means that you are the gender that you were assigned at birth. You identify, you know, they, you came out and went, it's a girl and you feel like a woman. Mm-hmm. It's just that you feel whatever is what you were assigned is how you feel. It's you not, there's it's no, not, dis, there's no disjointment between how you feel and how you present to the world. It's not the bad word you want it to be. Right. It's, not, it's, it's not a slur. It's, it's not like we can say white people. It's not a slur. It's, Jesus. Yeah. It looks like, well, it's okay, it, you're cisgendered. I think, um, really like just from observation especially has language has entered into the mainstream and into like kind of the collective consciousness that we're having uh you know with all these horrendous conversations surrounding transness on a national level um i i think we're seeing people who have never been othered before think that having that otherness is discrimination you know mm-hmm. like like uh, as a white person I do not get upset with people calling out white people like yeah, I actually actively describe myself as a white person 
because I'm a white person (laughs) and it it just, it showcases that like, you know, we as white people are actually racialized and have been for a long time. And it's important to like, understand we're not the default, just like, that's the problem is that so many white people have been allowed to be the default that when they talk mm -hmm. about people, they're talking about white people, white people, but when they're Mm -hmm. describing people that are not white people, that that's when they'll put Mm -hmm. a label on it, like black people or Indian people or, uh, French people. Mm -hmm. They only put a label on it when it's something that's other than what they are. Mm -hmm. And it, and now it's a little uncomfortable to have the label. Like talking about, you know, gender in that way too, you know, when we're seeing this gender critical movement that is just absolutely mind blowing, the deeper you go into it. And if you want like a really great, like explanation video to watch on it, um, Kaylin Conrad on YouTube has just released a three-part like mini documentary series about gender critical and how Mm. it's basically a cult Mm. and that they use the same tactics of luring in people who don't have the information about transness. They might go into these groups thinking, oh, I'm going to get support. These are people just like me. And then the next thing you know, they're uh, spouting a lot of really terrible hate rhetoric and have been indoctrinated Mm. and being like kept into this group uh, for, you know, whatever reasons. And it's, it's, is it sort of like, like content warning? It's worse than you think. Is it, is it sort of like people who are, um, I don't know. They're okay. Like how the, uh, not abortion clinics establish themselves and say that they're going to help people. Like it, yeah. it's like that thing that they're, it they're is, it's a yeah. false flag. They're saying like, Oh, we're going to help you. But really it's, is if it you, like conversion therapy in the end? Oh, 100%. It's uh. illegal conversion therapy. And like, it's very insidious because it puts like the concerned parent first and is like, your child is lying to you. Your child is making it up. They don't know. They're too young to know. They are doing it deliberately to hurt you, the parent. And um, while primarily there are like a lot of white women, cis women who are part of this group, it is uh, of um, any cisgender people can join. So men and women alike and just kind of get like the claws of trans phobia and the the clause of misogyny especially towards young girls mm-hmm. you know kind of like sink into you and you're just surrounded by this community you know as if you were in a cult and that's mm-hmm. the only rhetoric you're hearing and it becomes this feedback loop of just misogyny transphobia racism the works gross yeah it's real bad so i highly recommend again kaylin conrad on youtube uh three-part series they um um did a mountain of research and went way undercover uh to like infiltrate these groups to showcase just like hey this is bad Mm. This is really bad. And a lot of like the major players in gender critical are like being platformed by, you know, big news media like BBC and Washington Post and, you know, these supposedly neoliberal spaces are letting these, you know, outspoken, usually white women 
talking about how trans girls are never going to be girls and trans boys are girls that have been stolen from us. Barf! (laughs) What? What? (laughs) Barf, right? Like, oh God, like when Elliot Page finally came out and acknowledged Mm -hmm. his truth, like you had this huge discussion about their transness and a bunch of like, um, gender critical lesbians were like, oh, we've lost a good one. You've taken uh, Ellen away from us, you know, and just like being absolutely shitty and horrible. And I'm like, Elliot is so happy now. Yeah. Elliot yeah. is so happy now. Why, why let people be happy and alive? It's okay. <laughs> bingo, Tana, bingo. Just let people be happy and alive. Like, the the people on the other side especially the uh, the far right side that love to scream and holler about things it's like they love their liberty until it's someone else's liberty they love their personal rights not being infringed upon but they're fine with everyone else's like it just drives me crazy that people <laughs> don't see irony in their bullshit it's like very authoritarianism right like that's actually what they believe in what they believe in is that the way that they're living their life is the right way it's the true way Mm -hmm. anyone outside of that is just wrong like who gives a fuck if someone else is wrong in your eyes like everyone else may think that you're wrong who gives a shit as long as you are living your life happily and you are not bothering other people you are not infringing upon other people who fucking cares uh preach 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 yeah like it just drives me crazy like does my bisexuality really have that much of an impact on your personal life does my transness and non-binariness really have that much of an impact on your personal life because like it does on mine (laughs) but like of course it does I'm living that life Maybe secretly, all of them are afraid that us sweet little bisexuals or pansexuals will just one day swoop in and steal their wife that they haven't been sexually gratifying. I will steal everybody's wife. <laughs> I'll steal everybody's husband and wife. I will steal everybody and then everything. <laughs> I will be your emotionally negligent daddy with a capital D and you'll live that kinky life with me. Let's go. Let's do it. Well, let's talk more about that after the break. Actually, got other topics to talk about after the break, but let's take a quick. It's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute, so stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. Back from the break. So Tanith, off air before, you know, we started recording something that I wanted to make sure that we touched base about today is your experience as a trans person. I have several friends that are trans. I have some clients that are trans that we've had this conversation. Um, sometimes because of the way our society works, as you talked about labels can be tools, but then sometimes labels can also be, um, used as weapons. Uh, there can be a lot of gatekeeping for those labels. And I know one of the things that often happens, especially for non-binary folks is the conversation about, well, am I trans or am I trans enough? So I want to talk about that concept a little bit more with you. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
So I came out at 29. So mm-hmm. that was about five years ago now. Um, uh, to age myself for everyone. Um, but yeah, I, I came out at 29, uh, and it wasn't until after I, um, I moved back from Portland and a friend of mine up there was going through their own gender journey and exploring non-binaryness themselves. I never heard of being non-binary before that language or concept had not been in my periphery at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, this person would share their experiences with me and um, about how they lost part of their old community because they suddenly weren't a woman anymore. And that like changed their label, their sexuality label. And uh, from an outside perspective, like they didn't change the label, but other people who perceived them did. And suddenly because their gender was different, that meant they as a whole were different, that their personality was different, that they've completely changed. We don't know you anymore sort of thing. Mm. Um, But in speaking with them, like I realized like, that's me. Mm. That's who I am. That's the label that works for me. And so I did a lot of like digging on the internet and following other people who were non-binary and just trying to like understand my relationship to gender. Um, I was um, assigned female at birth um, and I never really like fully resonated with that. Um, But I did try for a very long time to be a woman Uh, but womanhood just didn't agree with me in a lot of ways, uh, physically, like, um, I had, um, a lot of PCOS symptoms. I had PMDD, uh, uh, which are a lot of an acronyms for really Mm -hmm. shitty periods, (laughs) Uh, really shitty Mm -hmm. periods and ovulation. And, uh, I, um, I went on HRT. I took estrogen and birth control, um, to try and feel at home in my body, you know, to make it feel better and Mm -hmm. and it worked you know it did it did what it was supposed to um but I never like fully felt at home um as a woman um I also like I did burlesque for seven years um Mm. to try and like explore you thought you maybe connect with your body differently body and like it with that you know uh, the the feminine wiles of a burlesque dancer you know sort of thing and and it, it was a uh, nuanced experience. I'm glad I did it, but it definitely did not hit in the way that I think it was for other women that I worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really wasn't until that conversation, uh, five years ago that I was like, Oh, 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 non-binary. That makes so much sense. Like, and especially for me, cause like I have a gender, but it is not within the gender binary. I'm not a woman and I'm not a man. And I still relate to gender in a lot of ways, but you know, non-binary just, it sits right. And I pretty much immediately started using they, them pronouns um, to uh, divorce myself from womanhood mm-hmm. as much as I could. Um, but you know, when you're a 
triple D chested busty lady, like sometimes it's really hard (laughs) to separate yourself from, you know, that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that was kind of the, the start of my gender journey was being like, oh, I finally found a term that accurately describes my relationship to gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. <laughs> and I noticed like, you're looking back through your Instagram, things like that, like that, um, that transition for you playing out sort of publicly on social media, mm-hmm. you know, like things like cutting your hair really short and playing with, with that, but you also were still using makeup. And so, you know, you described yourself in the intro as being transmasculine and like, mm-hmm. while I know what that is, some other people might not know what that means. And, and I think that there's too many people out there that aren't, um, how do I put this nicely? Mm. They aren't willing to have conversations with trans people to mm-hmm. understand some of these things. And I don't necessarily fault all of them because maybe they don't want to step in it or say something rude. Mm-hmm. Um, so I may ask some questions on here for their sake. That sure, yeah. Like elementary. But yeah, can you just explain transmasculine and that? Yeah. So some people will describe themselves as transmasculine or transfeminine um, to kind of shorthand to people. I don't use that word for me. I use it for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for me, when I say I'm transmasculine, it's to tell you, I ain't no woman. Like I'm not a woman. Please don't refer to me as she, her, I am, I, I, I I'm not what you think I am <laughs> sort of thing. So, so transmasculine for me is shorthand for people to know not a woman. Got it. You know, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm a man either. Uh, I, I feel like it's more like describing my energy because mm-hmm. we do, we do live in a society. I'm an Aquarius. I had to, um, <laughs> we, we often still utilize the shorthand that has been passed on through generations of like thinking we know people when we look at their outfits and we're like, okay, that's a man, that's a woman. Oh, look at their mannerisms, the way they hold their hands are so feminine. Oh, they're wearing jewelry and makeup. That must mean they're a girl or, or emasculated or whatever, blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> <You're> um, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> but like, for, for me, when I say I'm transmasculine, it's, it's literally to let anybody else know, not a woman. Got it. And, and so, and then transfeminine opposite, right? Like I carry feminine energy. I am not a man. I, um, enjoy, you know, exuding, you know, the, the more sensual creative energy that is associated with femininity sort of stuff. But that's not to say that transmasculine people don't have that either, you know? Um, cause I think, uh, for a lot of non-binary and and trans folks, and let's be clear about this, non-binary people are trans. Yes. We are trans because we're not cis. That's just, that's just, that's just how it goes. Um, but like, I, I think what is the most liberating part about being trans is that you can literally play with all sorts of energies and presentations and not feel confined because of what some doctor said when you were unconsensually born. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there you go. I, 
again, I am more of a to each their own, a hundred percent genuinely like your body is yours. My body is mine. And what I choose to do for mine doesn't mean that someone else should do for theirs and vice Mm -hmm. versa. Like we all have to figure out this weird, complicated life on our own. And the rules that apply for us don't apply to everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I, for my cisgender friends, I often encourage them to poke and prod at their gender and, you know, what, Kristen, what do you love about being a woman? What's your favorite part? Like, you know, like, what do you hate about it? What's like the social expectation of womanhood that you could just throw out the the door onto the curb and into the trash, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like gender is a very, it's a weird thing because it is both a very individual thing as well as a socially enforced thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what part of social womanhood do you just absolutely think sucks? I will answer that question. Yeah, tell me, I wanna know. I don't wanna have kids. I had had to take a long time, I used to want kids, Mm -hmm. uh, but I had to take a long time to really analyze, did I truly want children or was it just what was expected of me? Mm-hmm. Was it something that I innately felt was part of my journey in life? Or was I just doing it because the other people around me wanted that for me because of what it would give them? Like, I love mm-hmm. my parents. They would make wonderful grandparents, but that is not a reason enough for me to reproduce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once I recognized that I did not actually want to carry a child. Uh, things, things shifted. It did. It limited my dating pool. Um, there's definitely a lot of people out there who, I mean, I'm 41. They've kind of stopped at this point going, Oh, are you sure you might, you might change your mind? No. <laughs> to all those people who ever said you might change your mind. <laughs> I have not changed. My mind. We, we can be childless together. I was 11 years old when I told my parents, you ain't having no babies from me. My friends, when I was in like, I would say for teen years, they all thought that I was not going to be a mom. They really, they really thought I wasn't going to be a mom. In fact, one time I was holding my friend's child and she's like, huh? I go, what? She's like, I don't know. I just never saw you really being great with kids. And you just kind of surprised me right now. Maybe, maybe you, maybe you could have a kid and be okay. I was like, okay. So you just never saw me being a mom. She's like, no, no. It's like my friends that actually knew me as a teenager mm-hmm. knew that I probably was not meant to be a mom. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Cause I had somebody tell me they thought saw me as being like a, a stay at home mom with six kids. Ew. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> and like, let's be clear. If that's the life you want, live it, live your yes. truth, be, be the mom. You always want to be like uh, a lot of my friends are now becoming moms. And I am so excited to be the, uh, the ugliest word on the, like that you've heard in a while called uncle. It's a combination uncle, okay. of aunt and uncle. It's so, it's so uncle. <laughs> like, it sounds like, um, like something really bad has gone wrong, you know, <laughs> but I'm so excited to play that role because like I get to, you know, be an openly 
queer trans person in these kids lives and show them that hey this is an option you know I didn't have that in fact like the one gay uncle I did have was in Florida a bajillion miles away and we weren't close and so I didn't really get to have that kind of guidance and now I get to be that guidance and I'm excited for that you know yeah and I can give them give them back here yes. you go. I'm done. Thanks. <laughs> yes. I will happily, I want to be aunt Kiki. Uh, that's mm-hmm. fine. I will be my mm-hmm. friends, kids, auntie. That is fine. I love, I will love that role. I will relish that. I, I, one of my friend's kids keeps a picture of he and I in his room frame. <gasps> oh my God. So like, I love that kid, you know, I want to, I want to be that person that they can come to and, and ask questions and when they're too afraid to ask mom and dad, buy they'll be their condoms. sex, like their I sex guru. Yeah. Box with their condoms and all that stuff. But I love that. Oh, I'm going to be that, that person. Um, but you know, regarding my f- feminine power, I guess, or my feminine nature and what I do actually enjoy, like I do love my boobs. Mm-hmm. Actually, I really do love my breasts, but, but even that was a fraught journey. Mm-hmm. because while society tells women that we're supposed to love breasts and want large breasts or want perky, whatever that boobs are fine that we're supposed to want them my friends gave me a lot of shit for having big boobs mm-hmm. I had one friend who said that I was constantly sticking them out just because I stood up with good posture because I <laughs> so I started slumping I those days <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Um, I still to this day know that the gal that was my best friend from 14 until 29 hated that I would ever mention my boobs. Apparently like to her boyfriend who I'm, you know, friends with now and, uh, to other friends, she'd be like, God, Kristen's just like so obsessed with her boobs. I'm like, I don't recall saying or doing anything that made it seem like I was obsessed with my boobs. In fact, mm-hmm. I felt like I was doing everything I could to hide them mm-hmm. from, <laughs> from noticing them or keep boys from hugging me just so they could rub up on them. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I was I'm not like, hard well yeah. <laughs> to my body. My body didn't feel like it was my own because I was either getting feedback from people or people wanted access to it. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until my twenties that I actually really started liking my breasts. I tried twice to go get a reduction because of the feedback that I got, mm. but you know, I had to recognize that if I, if I could learn to love my own body, then I could probably just show up in the world differently. And if no, if nobody else was going to love, it, like I had to be the one to love it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was tired of just letting everyone else's feedback about my body dictate how I was supposed to feel about it. Speaking of large boobies as a, a, a once owner of uh, large titties, mm-hmm. I actually, I went out to a party last Saturday with a, uh, a longtime friend of mine who um, actually like took me to go get my top surgery nice. and mm-hmm. um, was super helpful. And, and so we were like, okay, we're going to go to this goth party. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we took, <laughs> we took a couple photos before going. We're like, we should get photos while we look cute. Uh, and we took a photo and we're looking at it and she was like, oh my God, my tits are huge. I was like, yeah, (laughs) they are. You have, you have ample bosom that it holds all the secrets of the universe. Like, (laughs) like, 
come, come and lay down and be comforted and learn, learn um, some knowledge. <laughs> oh, gay men sure do love big boobs. Uh, that's, one, that's one thing that like, I love give, I do love giving hugs to my friends. I'm like, I just want to curl up next to you. Like you they're very comforting. Yes. It, it's one of those things like for me, since now I don't have breasts, I'm like, I did have a nice rack. Like I can appreciate my breasts now that they're not on my body. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's Interesting. a, it's a weird thing for me. I think some other um, folks who've gotten top surgery uh, may have something similar, especially if they had larger breasts, but you're like, you, I look at old photos of me and I'm just like, God, my entire torso was just tits. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I look at old pictures of you too. Yes, yeah. Large breasts. Yeah. They I were there. D's. You said he had triple D's. They mm-hmm. were, they were there. They were there. And you know, the constant struggle of people saying, cover up, don't show your, don't show your biddies out in public. And I'm like, I literally can't help it. I have said I literally that can't to help it. so many fucking <laughs> times about their, they are breasts and they are here. I can't do anything. I'm also them. not the one projecting sexual things onto my body. Yes. So, yes. you know, this is for you. Enjoy. Take a look. Enjoy. And, uh, you know, rub one out later. You're welcome. I used to get some Leave me alone. <laughs> so much flack from uh, jobs about whether or not my clothes look professional just because mm-hmm. they were too tight. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, this is just genetics, baby. I'm just existing. I'm just existing. You know, this is, this is just me being professional (laughs) by virtue of just sitting here, you know, we are welcome (laughs) little by little. It's up to, it's up to us to get out and make the change, obviously. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, I actually removed myself from the workplace. So I didn't have to deal with this bullshit and have these Mm -hmm. conversations anymore. And I could go out and just teach people (laughs) that all this stuff on the side. So then they can go out in the world and be better human beings, but Mm -hmm. Little by little, conversation by conversation, podcast episode by podcast episode, just trying to influence the world to help them. I'm not trying to, y'all, anyone out there that might be listening to this fuming, thinking that we're trying to turn people trans, like that's not the goal. That is my goal. (laughs) It is the goal to get people to understand and accept themselves (laughs) and what their truths are. And that's diff- That's the thing, right? If 20%, uh, I think it was 20% of people 30 and under now identify something LGBTQ. And it's not that there's more queer people in the younger generation. It's just that more people have the freedom to live their truths and be themselves without fear and worry. But there's still a whole lot of people out there who do live with that fear and worry, depending upon where they live in this country or this world. So I guess my hope is just that people like you and I continue to have these conversations and help enlighten folks. And as you say, just like you had someone in your life who talked about their journey and you went, oh shit, that's me. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's someone listening today who's going, oh, okay, that makes sense to me. So I really appreciate you coming on and having this conversation with me today, Tana. Thank you so much, Kristen. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm so excited about the work you're doing and the work I'm doing. And we're just, we're just gonna just be gay and happy and Hell yeah. live our best lives. Hell yeah. <laughs> 
And for those listening, if you don't behave, we will come steal your your wife or your husband, either one. Hide your wife. Hide your husband. We're coming. <laughs> so, Tanith, tell the people how they can find you online. How do they find your artwork? How do they support you? Sure. Um, so, uh, my uh, I have a website, uh, thetanith.com, and that's T-A-N-I-T-H uh, for those that, who need to know. Um, and you can go and see like kind of my portfolio and CV of things that I've done. Uh, I will admit uh, the pandemic has made me a little bit like slow on the upkeep, but you know, it's still there. You can still check it out. Um, you can also find me on Instagram. My handle is Gallery Athenor, and that is A-T-H- a-N-O-R, uh, which for those who want to know, is an alchemic furnace where uh, they would do all their magic and chemical uh, reactions. And that's kind of how you turn lead into gold, baby. So I, I like that. It. <laughs> from the history nerd um <laughs> yeah that's usually where you can find me um i also have a society six store um if you wish to buy prints or any sort of like household items with my art on it um and you can buy original canvases from me as well uh and then uh no divide kc uh we're all over the place so just no divide kc.org and no divide kc on both instagram and facebook we're kind of all over the place yes you are absolutely well again tana thank you so so much for coming on keep them coming absolutely thank you Kristen. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast and check the show notes or stuff we talked about during the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the Dirty Bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. Send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching, if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.